The path to God is the path of humility. Now, if you remember a long time ago, if you're an Indiana Jones fan or not, but Indiana Jones in the Holy Grail, he had to come up to a place to get to the Holy Grail. And he kept whispering to himself, here was the clue, and only the penitent man will pass. He had to get low. He had to get low. Eric Raymond writes this. Humility comes from seeing God's bigness and my badness. In other words, humility is rightly responding to who God is and who I am. You see, these two go together, he writes. We cannot rightly know who we are until we first know rightly who God is. And as you read this text, you'll know that that's exactly what Naaman needed. In order to come to God, Naaman needed humility. He needed to get low. He needed to be, he needed to be the penitent man. See, Naaman, throughout the text, and I'm going to emphasize it repeatedly, so I'm going to repeat myself a little bit that way this morning. See, all the way, he's going to try to get his cure, and he's going to go to the top to get it. And all the while, while he's trying to get to the top, God, you'll see in this text, is going to be pushing him down to the bottom. And the reason is, let me say it again, is because the path to God always, always is the path to humility. You can't come to God in any other way. The only thing you absolutely need when you come to God is that you know that you have absolutely a huge need. Namely, to see God's bigness at the same time your badness. And so I ask you to consider this morning, while I'm talking, you think about this. Have you ever considered that Perhaps this morning, in one level or one degree or another, you are on the path of suffering. I would tell you this morning that perhaps God wants you on the path of suffering because he wants it to lead you to the path of humility. What if God is working through your difficult circumstances right now in your life that you're facing to bring you to the end of yourself and, as a result, bring you to himself? So as we look at the narrative of Naaman this morning, as we take a look at his his life and how God worked in his suffering and in his circumstances to be able to get him on the path to humility, we're going to see how God shows him first his badness, and it's going to take him a while to get it. And then God's going to show him his own goodness, his bigness, and in doing so, change his life. So we're going to unpack the two features of this text our badness and God's bigness, and see how it changed Nehemiah, Naaman's life, I should say, and ours as well. So let's look at both of them, two things. Number one, the path to humility is seeing your badness. I don't know if you remember, now this is dating myself a little bit because I'm a little older, but there used to be this guy on TV back in the 80s and early 90s. His name was Bob Ross. Anybody, anybody remember Bob Ross? Bob Ross was this guy... He kind of looked like a hippie from the 60s. He had this gigantic afro out here, and he talked like, hey, guys, how you doing? And he would come out, and he'd have this canvas. He was a painter, and the, and the, the TV show was called The Joy of Painting. And he'd talk really nice and calm to you, and he'd, he'd take all this, this paint, and he'd put a blob of paint here, and he'd smash a color on here, and he'd put all this paint on there, and you'd go like, You're thinking to yourself, what is this guy doing? And as he's talking to you, he's explaining to you, talking to you about life, 
and he starts doing a couple strokes here and he puts it over here a little bit and dabs a little over here and you're kind of like mesmerizing. You listen to him and he's talking and all of a sudden trees start coming out and you see the clouds in the sky and there's a mountain in the back and you say, how did that guy, how did he do that? He put together a bunch of stuff that didn't seem that was related at all and he turned it into a work of art. Our text is going to do that. You read this text about Naaman's life, and there's going to be a lot of little people, a lot of events, a lot of things that God strings together that when you first read them, they don't seem like they go together. But here's what God does on the canvas of Naaman's life. He paints a blob, and then he moves the colors around, and he takes a stroke here and puts a dot there, and he, he does some things, and all of a sudden, Naaman, I'm going to get it right here, Naaman's life is changing. It begins to change. He begins to really see himself, and by the end of this passage, God has painted a work of art and totally changes Naaman's life. And so I want to take a look at that together this morning and see how God can do that in your life. But in order for Naaman, as I've said before, let me repeat it again, in order for him to come to God, he has to have humility. And so here's what happens. God, first of all, if you look at our text in verse 1, God uses people to do that. Now, chapter 5, verse 1 reads this. Let me turn back there. Chapter 5, Naaman, commander of the army, was a great man, and his master of high favor with him, because by him... God had given victory to Samaria, and he, he was a mighty man of valor. He was a leper. Now, the Syrians, on verse 2, said they'd carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked for Naaman's wife, basically. She's a slave girl. See, not hardly ever would you ever expect that a great general from Syria would come to the prophet's house in Israel. They didn't go to, the only reason he ever came to Israel was to fight battles. But here's a different story. How in the world, I, I mean, you have to ask, how does Naaman, the general, end up at the door of Elisha, the prophet in Israel. How does he get there? Well, through a series of humbling events. The first one is, he, he, he hears from a little Jewish slave girl that when they had raided Israel at one point, that he took her. Basically, today, we would say that she was trafficked. She's slave. Right? Her parents were probably murdered in a battle. They took her as a captive. And now he has made this little Jewish girl a slave to his own wife. And it's this little girl who knows his condition who says, I wish that my master knew about the prophet in Samaria because that's where he could get cleansed. See, God is working in Naaman's life because it's this little Jewish slave girl, a little nobody, a little person who's been conquered by his people that begin to give him the good news and the information that he needs about how he can be cured. But see, God's not done. That little girl was servant to his wife. In God's providence... God put that together. It's just a blob of paint, and he's moving it around. Because I don't think that Naaman would have ever listened to the slave girl by herself because of who she was. But because that little girl was the servant of his wife, his wife hears about it, tells him about it, and he actually listens to her. See, here's why that's a problem and why that doesn't work normally. is because Naaman is a someone. Verse 1 says, he is a great man. 
He's a great man that does great things. He is a mighty man of valor. We would say today that he is a highly decorated soldier. He's probably won the Medal of Honor, the Bronze Star, the Silver Star. He has a purple heart. He was wounded in battle. See, he's a man's man. He's a celebrity. Naaman is a household name in Syria. In fact, if you were growing up in that day and you had a child, you probably named your child Naaman because you wanted your child to grow up and be like this guy. He has a resume that nobody else can match. So he says, the Bible says all these great things about him. And then it says this, at the end of verse 1, kind of just an extra line at the end, but what a devastating one. A mighty man, a great man. And then it just says in the Hebrew, literally, a leper. A leper. Not just anything, is it? See, leprosy was the most feared disease of Naaman's day. It began with a small, white, powdery patch on your skin. It looked like you just had a rash, but that rash would soon grow and spread all over your body. Nerve endings in your skin would die. Boils would begin to break out all over your body, and eventually it would evolve into gaping wounds that you couldn't control. And if it got to the extreme measures, and it would before you died, that your appendage, your, your extremes, your fingers, your toes would begin to fall off. It was a horrible disease. And because it was highly contagious, once they found out that you had it and you had it seriously, you had to be removed from society, from everybody else. And most lepers would die after spending 10 to 20 years secluded all by themselves away from anyone that they knew or loved because they were so contagious. Leprosy had a 100% death rate. See, those things don't go together, do they? Here he is, great man, mighty man. A leprous man. Naaman was at the top of his world. But in order to get to God, he had to get to the bottom of his world. See, God was planning. God was moving. God was using pieces. God was painting little blobs, using a little slave girl that he just by chance had happened to get on a raid when he was in Israel. But see what God's doing? See, Naaman wants to go up the ladder to get help, but God says, no, you need to go down the ladder. And so he gets this little Jewish girl, and this little Jewish girl is completely out of his social status world. It's not in his cultural world. He doesn't get advice from, he doesn't take advice from, he doesn't hang around slaves. But see, God is hammering at Naaman's pride. See, he wants to get him to the path of humility. And, and if you think of it this way, there's really two battles going on in Naaman's life. It's the battle against leprosy on the outside, but the battle against his pride on the inside. And God is going to have to win that war in his heart to bring him to himself. And so you know what Naaman does? The little girl tells him, but he says, I know what you are. I know you're a slave, but I'm going to go up to my class to get help. So you know the first thing he does? Next verse, he goes to the king of Syria, his master, and he says, I'm going to give you letters. And so they write official letters. And he says, when you take this to him, take this, and I'm going to put the pressure on him. I'm going to move him. See, I don't want you to have to go beneath your ranks. Servant girl, I'm going to put you up to my ranks. We're going to get this done the politically powerful way. But see, Naaman doesn't get it. 
He still wants to go up the ladder. He doesn't want to go down the ladder. So God's going to work because Naaman needs to see his badness. God needs to squash his pride before he can get on the road to humility. And so when he takes the letters, he's putting pressure on the king of Israel. And the king of Israel throws his hands in the air and says, what do you mean? Only God can do this. See, even the king of Israel, who's not exactly godly, knows this. You're asking the impossible. You're asking the impossible. They're going to put pressure on him. And here's why. Because Naaman is saying this. Hear me. Do you understand who I am? Do you know what I've done? You see, God is going to work in me. Get your God to do that for me. See, I'm a total insider. I have the king at my disposal. I'm highly favored. I'm the man. I'm the great man. See, I'm on the inside. C.S. Lewis said and wrote an article called The Inner Circle. And he says, every one of us want to be accepted. We all want to be put in the inner circle. We want to have people know who we are, what we've accomplished, how great we are. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. And the reason is because deep down inside, we know that we don't fit in the ultimate inner circle that we look like we want to fit in we look like we could be accepted but on the inside we know that we have a real problem and for Naaman perhaps that real problem started one day when he looked at his arm and he saw a little patch of snowiness see God gave him leprosy you know why because he had to get Naaman's attention he had to get his mind and his heart off of what he was on the outside so that Naaman could begin to focus on what his real problem was on the inside. And to do so, he gave him a spot. That spot revealed to Naaman that he had a bigger problem deeper than he ever thought possible. You know, perhaps you're here this morning and God has put a spot in your life. Just to reveal to you what's really going on. To get your mind to the inside of what you're like. To who you really are. And not just focus on the outside. And he does that by giving us spots. Spots in our marriage. When our marriage isn't what we thought it could be. Or what it was at one time. And it was really good. And now it's sliding downhill. And I'm not even sure why. And I'm not sure I can stop it. Spots. Spots in the lives of our kids. You know, my children are getting older. They're being more difficult to handle. And you know what? They're starting to defy my authority and the rebellion. See, spots, it gets our attention that we have problems, deeper problems. And sometimes it takes the form of a habit that we can't break. Alcohol or drugs or pornography. Maybe it's a fear that paralyzes you. Maybe you get a diagnosis and it's uncertain what the cause or the degree of difficulty that you're going to face. A spot, a spot in your life that God uses to get your attention. Maybe it's just a health scare or maybe it's an inner emptiness, a dull aching on the inside that doesn't just ever seem to go away. And it's there and it's always pushing you, making you think there's something deeper that I need. See, spots do this. They point us to bigger problems. That's why if you trace leprosy throughout the Bible, you'll find that its main purpose is this. It's a symbol of sin. Leprosy on the outside is always helping the person to point them to the problem they have much deeper within because we're terminal. 
Do you understand? We're terminal. Our souls have spots. See, Naaman needed to figure that out. Naaman needed to come to the understanding of the depth of his disease, the badness that he had in his heart. See, he could not get on the path of humility. He could never come to God because he couldn't get there yet. He's not there yet. Because in all of this seeking, here's what's true. And maybe it's why you're here this morning. See, what's true of Naaman at this point, before he gets on the path of humility, is he is not seeking God. He is seeking a cure. And there are lots of people who come to church, and maybe it's you, that you really didn't come here today for God to point out your deeper problems. You're just really concerned about the leprosy. You're really just saying, God, what's the answer to my financial issues? Hey, God, what's the answer to the anxiety and the fear that I'm constantly being overwhelmed by? You're not really seeking him. You're seeking deliverance. And when that happens, we often do what Naaman does. That we think that we can buy it. You know, the Bible, look at verse 5. The Bible says that when he got the letters, he came to the prophet's house. And with him, he brought a bunch of stuff. And that stuff included 10 talents of silver. That is 750 pounds of silver. That is a lot of silver. He brought 6,000 shekels of gold, 150 pounds of gold. You have to understand, he's got animals, he's got carts. He's pulling carts of silver and gold. He has 10 changes of clothing. And you say like, what? okay, gold, silver, a lot of money, millions of dollars. What about the clothes? That doesn't seem to fit. Well, back then, these were not just clothes. These were handmade clothes. These were clothes for worship and celebration. These were clothes that were handmade. They were expensive. Most people in that day didn't even have one set of clothes like that. He's bringing 10. He's bringing 10. Why? Because when you're somebody, that's what you have. It's incredibly expensive. Commentators say nobody had that kind of wealth. Nobody had that kind of wealth to bring that kind of gold, that kind of silver, that nobody had that. And, he, and the commentators say that most likely Naaman, it wasn't just all his stuff. That he was so loved, so respected, so well looked up to, that his government gave him some of that stuff to bring. See, you know what he's saying? Listen, do you know what you're saying when you bring it? When he brings the money and he brings the clothes, you know what he's saying? He's not just saying, here's some money. He's saying, look at me. Look at me. Look at my life. I deserve to be healed. You understand who I am and what I have? I've been good. I've been blessed. I have been victories for my country. I am a national celebrity. And what he's saying is, this is his way. When he brings the money and clothes, and this is us. When you bring the money and clothes to God, you are saying this. This is my way of controlling you. Because that's what religious people do. That's what religion says. See, religion says this, that you give to God and then God owes you. But biblical faith says this. God gives you everything and then you owe him. If you read the rest of the story, you'll know why at the end that when he offers all of this stuff to Elisha, he refuses it. He rejects it, not once, but twice. Why? Because Elisha wants Naaman to get humble enough to understand this message. You can't buy it. It's free. You see, cleansing by God, salvation, forgiveness, it's always free. It's never paid for. God doesn't owe you anything You can't control him. 
And so Naaman says this, look at me, look who I am, look what I have. And then he also says this, look what I can do. Naaman comes in our text, if you look at verse 13, chapter 5 and verse 13 says this, but his servants came and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? In other words, you're a great man, verse 1, and I know that you came here expecting to do great things, and he did. Did you see how he comes up in verse 9? Horses and chariots. You know what that means? Not just a horse and a chariot. Horses and chariots. He has a whole entourage. He has his own military backup. Why in the world did he need to come that way? You know why? Because when he got there, he expected the prophet to ask him to do something great, something heroic. Because that's who he is. He's still at the top. See, I still got to do stuff. I got to show people how great I am. I can't let this leprosy control me. See, he's expecting to have Elisha come out of the house and say, well, in order for me to cleanse you, here's what you must perform. Here's what you have to do. And maybe he expected Elisha to come out and say, I want you to bring me back the broomstick of the wicked witch of the West. I want you to get me the head of Medusa. That's what he's expecting. But you know what it says in verse 10? Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. Another step down. Slave girl, right? Someone below his class. And now it says Elisha, a prophet in Israel, not even known by most people in Syria at all. He doesn't even come out. Instead, he sends out the intern. He sends out the little messenger boy. He sends out the guy who's his assistant and doesn't know anything about what he's talking. He says, here's what my master says. It's almost like, hey, glad you came, Naaman. Good to see you today. My master's busy today. He's got a lot going on. And then he has a lunch and he has to attend. He won't be able to come out and talk to you at all today. But here's what he said. Go wash seven times in the Jordan. How would you feel if you were a famous hero? That everybody knew your name. You were on TV and you go to get see this guy who's a nobody, and he doesn't even open the door to come out and see you. See, it's humility. It's another step toward the path of humility. And of course, read verse 11. Naaman is incredibly insulted. You know why? Because here's what he's thinking. Anybody can go wash in the Jordan. That doesn't take anything. I didn't need horses and chariots to go into the Jordan. I don't need anybody's help. To, I mean... I, Anybody can wash. It takes a hero to do what I've done. Listen, I brought horses and chariots, and I'm going to do something because, listen, if I do something great for God, then God's going to have to do something great in return for me. You ever been there? That's what religion says. We have to earn or perform our way into God's grace. I'm going to do something, and I'm going to do something great, and then God is going to owe me. If you read the text in verse 11, it says he got really angry. It's a Hebrew word meaning ticked. <laughs> he was upset. And he had expectations. And it's kind of funny if you read verse 11, actually. It says that he expected almost like there would be a ceremony. It says in the text that Elisha would come out of the house and wave his hand and do something like it was a really cool. It's almost like today he expected Elisha to come running out a tunnel with, with fog in it. And the jets would fly over and they'd announce his name over the PA system and they would, everybody would cheer and then he'd be healed. That's, that's kind of what he thought. None of it. Another step 
down. There was no fanfare. There weren't jets and there wasn't fog and there wasn't any of those things. There wasn't anybody even there. And he's mad. Do you see how God works? Do you see how God brings people to himself? Do you see, if you want to come to God, do you see what he does in your life? Little slave girls, messengers of the prophet who come to the door instead of the prophet himself, being told that he can't do anything on his own, that he just needs to go and wash. That's it. No fanfare, no big ceremonies, no great deeds, no heroic acts. God keeps pushing him down and down. And so he works in your life and you lose your job and the relationship is broken and you get the diagnosis that you didn't want to hear and your kids aren't turning out the way you thought and you don't know what your future is. And all the while you keep running and you keep trying to get up when God's trying to get down so that he can get your attention. And maybe this morning, just maybe, that is why you are here. He's using your trials. He's using your problems. He's using your suffering because you think that it's you. And you don't see the bigger problem that's underneath. But he's not done yet. you think that would be enough, wouldn't you? In fact, I often think when I talk to people, I think they're at the bottom. And then I find out that they're not. So God keeps humbling him. And here's what happens next. He's going to leave. Now, that's crazy. He's come to the place. He's gone all this way. He's got all his people, brought all this gold and silver. And now because Elisha won't come out, he is so angry. He's so mad. He is done with it. Now, have you ever been that full of yourself? Full of pride? I'm not doing that. I'm not going to that church. I'm not going to hear that message. I won't. And you, it's the only way you're going to be cured. But you're done because you don't know humility. And then God does another step. All the servants around him, and that's what the Bible says in verse 12. His servants. You see how it works? Slave girl, messengers, and then his own servants, his own slaves, who he brought with him. They have to come out and talk some sense into him. And they basically say, Naaman, isn't this a great word? It's not that you're doing something great, but isn't what he said to you that you can be clean? Isn't that great enough for you? And the guy actually pauses. And the humility begins to pour in. And he realizes, but he's got one more, one more card to play. He goes, do I really got to do it in the Jordan? I got to wash in the Jordan. I've been to the Jordan River. It's dirty. It's brown. You can't see through it. It's an ugly river. And he mentions, listen, he mentions two rivers in his own country, in Damascus. Because they were nicer. They were clearer. They were nicer. And it wasn't just because they were nicer, by the way, because everybody thought that their deities were local. And so if he went back to his own country and washed in his own river, right, that his gods could take the glory for it and they could claim the power. And then people that know him could be at the rivers and they could watch him do it. See, he's still trying to get to the top. But here's what the prophet says. Only one source there's only one river, only one country, only one God. And unless you come to that humble conclusion, you cannot be clean. 
See, that's the final punch. Only one God. Go wash. And he finally does. You know what? He finally sees who he is. He finally sees his badness. And in doing so, he sees God's goodness. You know how I know that's true? Do you know how you can know if you've actually stepped onto the path of humility to come to God? You remember when he first started out in this, in this passage in chapter 5 and verse 11, it says that he came and he wanted Elisha to come and stand before him. And he was so mad. And the little word, stand before him. He wanted Elisha to come out of the house, stand before him, and be his servant. You do what I ask. I've come to command you, heal me. But everything's changed. Because in chapter 5 and verse 15, it reads this. He returned to the man of God, he and all of his company. He came and he stood before Elisha. Wow, completely different role reversal. He's not worried whether Elisha stands before him anymore. He is standing before Elisha because here's what he's come to realize. I understand my badness. I understand my leprosy. I finally got some humility. But that's not all. Because in chapter 5 and in verse 11... He also says this, but Naaman was angry and went away, and it says this, and it marks it off. Behold, he has not only changed on the outside, he has changed on the inside. See, it says, behold, in verse 11, and it says, behold, I know this. See, he has got to behold. See that little bracket? See, he has totally changed his view, not only of himself, but God. Because, listen, the first thing out of his mouth when he comes back after being healed is not, Elisha, come out, I gotta thank you. He doesn't say anything about Elisha. He doesn't thank Elisha for anything. You know what the very first thing out of his mouth is this? There is no other God. There is only one God. And he is God in all the earth. See, he has totally changed his mind. Because now he has found something greater than the cure for leprosy. He's found God. He's found God. And all the little paint and all the blobs, and all the work on the canvas is beginning to shape up. And you can see the trees, and you can see the flowers, and the mountains. And he's changing him. Behold, now I know. Now I know. See, I have finally seen myself, and in, I can see God. I can see how big he is. I can see that there aren't any other rivers. I can see that there isn't any other country. And I can see that there any, isn't any other God. There's only one God. I see him. I see how big he is, how great he is. I see this, that he's the only one. He's the only one big enough to heal me on the outside and on the inside. See, Naaman has become a new person. So much so that in chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, from now on, you see that? From now on, I'm going to tell you this, I have to go back home. I put my arm, the, the king puts his arm within my arm. I'm the prime minister. When we go to the temple together for his God now, Forgive me, because I have to go in there with him. But I'm not just the old prime minister I once was. I'm a new guy. I have the same job, same responsibilities, but i got to tell you this. I've been changed, totally changed. And here's how he's been changed. He says, listen, if you won't take my money and you won't take my clothes, let me take your dirt. Got dirt? Really? He says, give me the dirt, because when I go back, I'm going to put a... 
pile of dirt and spread it out right in front of the temple of the pagan god my master worships at. And I want him to know that when I step through the door, I'm going to kneel on that because I have a new God, a new life, a new direction, a new worship. That's our theme this year, worship matters. See, that's what changed in his life. God, the true God, the living God, became the center of his life and he was going home to live differently. See, he could see his badness because he had now seen God's goodness and that changed his life. Let me close this morning with this. You know, Jesus told this story. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, one day Jesus was preaching to his own people. And he said that there were many lepers in Naaman's day. But the only one who was healed was him, a Syrian. Because, see, God's people in Jesus' day didn't like it either. They were full of themselves. They were full of pride. And they couldn't handle the fact that Jesus was trying to teach them that there were people that were loved by God outside of Israel just as great as God loved them. And they actually hated it so much and rejected what Jesus said in their arrogance and pride that they took him out to the brow of the hill and they were going to toss him off and kill him. You know why? Because they didn't know anything about the path of humility. But they would see it. They would see the person who would show them what humility was all about because that very same Jesus would go to the cross and pay the penalty for their sins. He would die in their place so that they can have eternal life, that their leprosy could be forgiven. Perhaps you're here this morning and God's brought a spot into your life and he wants to get your attention he wants you to see how big he is and see how bad you are. And know this, that he wants to paint a work of art on the canvas of your life. But the only path to him is humility, brokenness, repentance. Have you found that path? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Humility. Not prized. Not a trait that's sought after too much in our society today. But it's the only path to God. The only path. And perhaps you're here this morning and with your head bowed and eyes closed, you know inside there's a lot of turmoil, trouble, trials, suffering, difficulties. Have you ever thought that God's putting those into your life like Naaman had leprosy in his life to get your attention, to point you to a deeper problem? I had the privilege this week on Friday to have lunch with someone I'd talked to for so long so long. And I thought many times that the person I talked to on Friday had come to the bottom, but they didn't. But a series of events in the last few weeks totally changed that person. And in talking to them over lunch, I relayed the story of Naaman. 
and she could identify fully with it. In her living room on her couch, she took the path of humility and put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That can be you. That can be you. Will you let go of your pride? Will you let God break down your pride and give you humility so that you can see your sin and see your Savior? With no one looking around, would there be anyone this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, that's me. I've got a spot and I know why I have it now. I know it points to a deeper problem, and that deeper problem is my sin, and I need to come to the only source of cure, the only forgiveness, the only place of cleansing, and that is what Jesus has done when he died in my place and took my penalty and rose again on the third day. He's my only hope of forgiveness, my only Savior, and I want to put my faith and trust in him. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to get some dirt. Would you pray for me? If that's your heart and that's your mind this morning and your desire, would you just slip your hand up with no one looking? Just put your hand up and put it back down. I need the Lord Jesus. Anyone, just put your hand up and put it right back down and I'll pray for you as we close in just a moment. Anyone? Thank you. I see your hand, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Main floor, balcony, either one. Ah, Father, thank you for the story of Naaman. It's hard for us to be humble. It shouldn't be, but it is. And we can only do it when we see how great you are, how big you are. As Naaman saw that in his life and how you changed him, I pray for the one who raised their hand now, Father, that you'd bring that humility to their mind and their hearts, even now, that they might be able to have the humility to walk this aisle and let someone take the scriptures and show them how they can have eternal life, forgiveness of sins in your great name. Father, would you do that again right now in their lives and bring them to yourself? For others who might be here this morning who couldn't raise their hand or wouldn't raise their hand, but need to, I pray that you'd work in their lives as well. Bring them low, O oh Jesus, that you might exalt them high in you. And we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen.